welcome back to the new episode of this season of the VMP Anthology podcast. This season, as you are very well aware by clicking and by listening to the previous episode, is devoted entirely to Ghetto Records, the renegade indie label run by Latinx music legend Joe Batan, and to VMP Anthology 14, the story of Ghetto Records, the new box set from Vinyl Me Please and Now Again Records. This box compiles all of the label's six LP releases and a compilation of its seven inches and some unreleased material, and it covers the entire recorded history of the label. On this episode, my co-host Pablo Iglesias and I discuss albums two through five in the VMP box. We start with Papo Felix and Paul Ortiz and Orquesta Son and cover the Latin psych rock of La Fantastica and finish with the label's biggest hit maker, Joe Acosta. The box is still available at VinylMePlease.com, so go ahead and grab it if you haven't. And without further ado, here's me and Pablo. Let's go to Papo Felix and Ray Rodriguez. Tell me the backstory of how they end up uh, recording for Ghetto Records and who they are. Well, this really was a Joe Batan connection. What happened was um, there were three Rodriguez brothers that had an orchestra. Ray Rodriguez had his name as the leader, but he had two other brothers. Um, and the most talented one, everybody says, was Bobby Rodriguez, who played sax and flute. Right after he got out of um, Coxsackie Reform School, Joe Batan saw this young orchestra. I mean, when he said young, he meant like 12, 13 years old, playing in the park, these very complicated mambo arrangements from the 50s. And I suppose this was probably like 1963 or something, 64. And he was like, wow, who are these kids? You know, but he knows they didn't have a piano player. So he sat in, said, hey, can I sit in and play piano? And they got to talking. And eventually he had a flute he gave to Bobby Rodriguez and they formed a friendship and fast forward to, to the Fania years a little bit later, Bobby Rodriguez would actually join Joe's second backing band during the Fania years. So he basically knew them and uh, they had done a record for Allegre and a record for Cotique to other smaller labels that then became subsumed by roulette records I think those contracts ended and they were, they had some recordings and they were, you know, shopping them around like demos or something. And, and so Joe got wind of that and uh, said, yeah, let's work this up into a full album. The way I heard it from both Joe and uh, Papo Felix, the singer that Joe got to, to sing on it, they needed to fill it out and do a couple more songs. So what happened was Papa Felix ended up writing lyrics and, and working out the vocal parts to a couple of the instrumentals. And they remixed the instrumentals slightly, taking out a few of the instruments or adding instruments to basically fill out the whole thing. So the album is a mix of uh, songs with Papa Felix singing and instrumentals, some of them from an older time and some, you know, from once Ghetto Records had started. So when you listen to side A, it's mixed differently than side B. Joe did not recall exactly why that was. So my guess is that 
they were just recorded at different times and mixed differently by different people. And perhaps there was no way the older ones were mixed more all in the center and the later ones were more uh, sophisticated and spread out. Um, so if you, if you listen to it, as you work your way through it, you kind of hear this change after, you know, side B starts. But basically, Batan put the uh, Rodriguez brothers together with Papo Felix, who had been recommended to him by a mutual friend, a guy named Tito Ramos. Uh, Tito Ramos was uh, a famous singer. He had been with a number of bands, with uh, Johnny Colon, and then he had his own band, the TNT Brothers. And he just, he was a, a great guy from the neighborhood who knew everybody. And as a matter of fact, he was, Tito Ramos was the one who introduced Joe Batan to George Febo. Ramos put Batan and, and Papa Felix together, you know, said, hey, Joe, you looking for a singer? You know, uh, this guy, I've heard him sing around the neighborhood. He's really good. Again, it, it's hard to pick one song because this is so different. There's these instrumentals. There's some kind of fun uh, Latin jazz and boogaloo soul instrumentals. Uh, we use the Latin jazz one for, for the uh, promotion and it's very right. dark, you know, mm -hmm. it goes really well. Um, but I really, there's, there's one called workout part two. Okay. It's more of a real Latin soul jam, you know, instrumental like upbeat. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a beautiful song by Papa Felix about going back to Puerto Rico, para Puerto Rico voy, which really is a great example of the people who had come from Puerto Rico and gone to New York always felt an affinity for home and, and a longing for home. And sometimes would travel back and forth, um, but they basically had come to New York trying to seek better opportunities. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of nostalgia uh, that manifests itself in things like music and food, um, things you would encounter in New York, like a Spanish language newspaper would have stories about Puerto Rico, stuff like that. So Para Puerto Rico Voy uh, is, is the great vocal on that album, I think. And Batam must have liked it so much that he re-recorded it later for the St. Latin Days Massacre on uh, Friday Records, too. So anyway, those we'll are my that song, man. Yeah. Yeah. That song will be what they hear now. Para Bayamón, para Bayamón, a probar su 
Ortiz and La Orchestra Son. I, I guess one of my questions is, is like, you know, was this a fairly normal practice that these orchestras were sort of just paired up with singers when it came time to record stuff like you know because this is you know now the second record in a row where it's a, a singer paired with with an orchestra i don't know if it's that way with other labels although i do know that at for instance like a label like fania you would see a core studio a stable of studio people whether they're musicians or people who sang chorus so even though you might have a different lead singer, you often have this this chorus of like three guys that really sing harmonies great, and they're always the ones in there. Kind of like you would have that with Muscle Shoals or something, you know? Or Motown or Stax. Motown, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ghetto was such a like small one-off kind of thing, seat of the pants, um, you know, who knows what tomorrow's going to bring that I feel like it's it's like comparing apples and oranges. They're a little different. I think what it was was just that the Paul Ortiz band needed a vocalist and and Joe was already working with Papo. Papo's has had a great voice that reminds people of of some of the more famous singers like uh, Ismael Rivera. And he could write songs. You know, he could write lyrics. The thing that is funny about Paul Ortiz and La Orchestra Son is that, like Eddie LeBron, Paul Ortiz was a piano player, but Paul Ortiz had a great voice. But he just, even though he was of Puerto Rican ancestry, he just did not have the pronunciation, the sort of like straight off the island kind of pronunciation that Pablo Felix did for the Spanish songs. So kind of the way in a lot of the early Joe Batan records, Joe would sing the English numbers, and then he would have various people, Tito Ramos was one of them, who would sing the Spanish numbers because they were native Spanish speakers. What's going on with Paul Ortiz and Orchestra Son is Paul sings Tender Love, which to my mind is the best Latin soul song of all time by, by people of Puerto Rican extraction. You have the Chicanos on the West Coast that have their own thing and their own amazing songs, uh, and then also from Texas. But as far as what happened in New York with the ballads, the soul ballads, the way Paul Ortiz sings Tender Love is just incredible, uh, to my mind anyway. He's great. It's almost spine-chillingly similar to how Joe Batan would sing it. Um, in fact, people have said to me, oh, I, I thought that was Joe Batan because he produced the album. I said, no, no, I don't think so. That was a super popular tune for them as well. And the funny thing is, is that a lot of these salsa bands would have that one Latin soul song that would get, you know, a lot of radio play. So there was a band Orchestra Capri that had a ballad like that, an English language ballad, that uh, happened to be written by the same person that co-wrote Tender Love with uh, Paul Ortiz, which is Jose Madera. Jose Madera is is, is uh, still with us, and and I interviewed him about you know the records that he did with Ghetto, and this was one of them. And he said, "Yeah, I I co-wrote that song in order to put this other band's soul song off the charts because." I had been with them. I had written that song and then they took it from me and and I left the band because they were unprofessional and joined Paul Ortiz. And uh, and so at a certain point, Tender Love moved up the Latin soul charts to the top position and kicked out this previous song that Madeira had written with Orchestra Capri for. Um, 
But anyway, basically, Jose Madero doesn't quite recall, you know, how Papo Felix got in there. It's not exactly clear. So either perhaps the Rodriguez brothers stumbled on Papo Felix or maybe even had heard him singing elsewhere or what have you. But by the time the Paul Ortiz came along, everybody probably knew Papo Felix. You know what I mean? So I think that's how, how that happened. Tender Love is the song we should play now. You've done the work to to sell that on everybody, you know. Oh, especially. sure. If they haven't heard it yet, they gotta hear it. Right. Stars embrace us. 
the next record in the box is La Fantastica. And you, I, I don't remember how much of this made the final liner notes booklet, but you cover, this has like a pretty wild album cover, like this, like sort of like psychedelic weird painting uh, vibe to it. Let's talk about that. And you know how this band ends up the sort of psychedelic ish band ends up also on. Right. Ghetto. Well, you know, it's completely by chance. The fact that La Fantastica had a psychedelic soul song and used the, the utilized the vibraphone in a psychedelic way was completely unrelated in the end to to how the album cover art came to be showing up in the ghetto studios, you know. And also, ironically, the person who did the artwork did not do the artwork even on speculation for ghetto. His name is uh, Charlie Rosario, and he was working at Fania in the graphic design department with Izzy Sanabria at the time. But basically, he was in art school, and he had done an assignment. And everything was psychedelic at that time. You know, it was late 60s, early 70s. There was a lot of psychedelic art there. So for an assignment in his art class, Charlie Rosario did this collage of ears and a woman in the sky and rainbows and, you know, all kinds of, like, just completely random, surreal visuals. And he was doing some other job, like for a previous ghetto record, he he thinks, where he was carrying a layout for, for George Fibo to see going from Izzy Sanabria's office, which was catty corner across, across the uh, street, and bringing it over there. So he just thought, hey, I'll bring my own portfolio of some of my artwork and see, you know, this is an, a young upstart label. Maybe they could use something of mine. So apparently, uh, according to a guy whose record was being developed at the same time at Ghetto, um, Joe Acosta, another piano player, uh, he saw this artwork and didn't like it. But George Fibo took one look at it, apparently, according to Charlie, and was like, yeah, I'll buy that. I'll just I'll I'll use it for something. The ironic thing is, when he decided to use it for La Fantastica, Charlie didn't know because he just went back to, to Izzy Sanabria's office and, you know, just he got his money and he left. Well, come to find La Fantastica are guys that he grew up with. He knew band members no all, all along and was in art school with the leader of La Fantastica, the saxophone player, Sam De Leon. So it was only a little bit later when he got a copy of the record, he was like, oh, my God, I know these guys. <laughs> Everybody crazy. in this band, yeah. they're from my part of Brooklyn. Uh-huh. And I went to art school with this guy. We even were in a band together in, in uh, high school. <laughs> That's crazy. So, And the way that the, the band was, dis- I would say, discovered by FIBO was there was a guy named Hector Maisonave who owned a club, the M&M Club in Brooklyn. And he had seen the band and thought they were great and had them in rotation at the M&M and decided to put together a showcase in Manhattan. And I, I believe it was at the Village Gate, which is, you know, much more prominent than some place, a random place in, in, in a Latino neighborhood in Brooklyn. And it was there that George Fibo saw them and it apparently knocked him out because they had such an interesting lineup of saxophones, vibraphones, all kinds of crazy stuff. The other ironic thing is that they added a singer who Charlie Rosario knew from childhood too. De Jesus Chuleta was his nickname. Um, And um, 
he had a great voice and he was in another band that Charlie had, had uh, been friends with and did an album cover for, but they just randomly, they just happened to hire him to sing a bunch of songs for La Fantastica too. So not only did Charlie intimately know the leader and a number of other people in the band, but the guest vocalist, Chuleta, who has such a fantastic voice on this record, was also a friend of his from around the way, from, from his neighborhood in downtown Brooklyn. Completely interconnected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the psychedelic aspect, I mean, Latin blues is great. I've I've played that song for a number of people, uh, like Adrian Casada, who just did psychedelic uh, boleros. Oh yeah, album. sure. Uh huh. I was like, maybe he's heard this, but if not, he might dig this. And he was like, man, that is great. And it's true. I randomly found this record um, where I live, not anywhere near New York. And that was the first tune I heard. The guy in the record store was playing it, and I was like, wow. This is crazy, partly from the voice and partly from it's a very languid song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's it's almost bizarre. So yeah. with Rafael uh, Chuleta de Jesus singing it and um, and the sort of slurry vibraphone going around in there, it's yeah, it's, it's the cool. trippiest record in this box for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. and they must have liked it enough to spend not only the money to make a color cover but to have a gatefold, right? Yeah, which I think is right. cool because in in the vinylly please reproduction, um, there's the gatefold which has more photos, the photos of the band inside, and the little explanation about the band and how it came to the label. Right. So, um, you know, people must have believed in them, and indeed, Rafael de Jesus went on to become a big salsa romantica crooner, like pretty pretty famous in the '80s and '90s. So he he did go on to have quite a career. Uh, what I heard about Sammy de Leon, the saxophonist leader, was that he um, he did one more record for the same label that Joe Batan signed with Americana that became Salsol. But then he he left the music business or left the live music business and started a record store, record and instrument, musical instrument store in Brooklyn. And then the word on the street was that then he died uh, young. But I don't know. Whether that's the case or not. But again, he's one of these sort of dead ends. Nobody can talk to him. You can only talk to the people tangentially (laughs) involved, like the guy who did the graphic design. (laughs) Right. But yeah, that's La Fantastica.
Costa, he was like the second biggest hit on Ghetto, yes. right? The Power of Love uh, becomes kind of like a, a a pretty big hit on the Latin charts, right? I need her is the tune, and yes, okay. yeah, it edged out um, the Paul Ortiz Tender Love. <laughs> Actually, um, yeah, I need her. They put that on a forty-five, just like Tender Love. Again, it's not characteristic; it's a part of. The New Yorkian identity. I mean, because there's always been that crossover, that that melting pot happening in New York between African American, Italian American, and Latino communities, musically speaking. So there's always been some kind of ballad or doo-wop singing, you know, within the Puerto Rican community. The way later they were involved in in the the hip hop culture, but. There's like, I think there's also by the time I get to Phoenix or something is on there. I forget. But basically, the rest of this album is heavy duty, hard salsa with trombones, like nasty, like super urban salsa, which I love. And that, to my mind, I mean, there's two kinds of collectors of this stuff out there. And they're pretty separate, although you will find people like me and some of the guys that helped me with this record who like both the slow Latin soul and the hard salsa. But generally, they're split into these two camps. And so some of the same people that might spend a lot of money on I Need Her, the 45, to get that rare soul thing would not necessarily be the same ones that like Bendita Ilusión, for instance. That's my favorite salsa track on there, which is also about love, a different kind of love. Um, but it's a totally different sound. You know, it's, it's, it's salsa. So my key tracks... On this one, I'd have to have both. I'd say I Need Her and Bendita Ilusión so that you can check the difference that the same band can do this song and this song. You know what I mean? Yeah, and Joe Acosta, he's one of the people from Ghetto that had a pretty sizable career after Ghetto, too, right? (laughs) 
Yeah, he and Eddie LeBron. It's one of those things where you have to really read between the lines and check all the credits, unless you're within the music scene, to realize, oh, he played on this album, he played on that album. Both of those guys uh, not only played piano on a lot of albums, but played with many, many different orchestras, as well as you know leading their own at different times. But um, Joe Acosta, unlike Eddie LeBron, did do a couple of other albums afterward on the solo label, which was was owned by Combo uh, Records, the same guys as Rico. Um, it was another independent label, but that has survived to this day. So I would say that, you know, he had a little more longevity as, as an orchestra leader, but he also played lots of, of people. And then, you know, later he worked with, Disney and, uh, you know, did jingles and he did a bunch of commercial recordings and stuff. And Eddie LeBron moved to Florida and had an orchestra there in Orlando that was very popular. Um, there, there was a whole kind of influx of, of uh, Puerto Rican families to Orlando over the decades, especially after Maria, but even before that. Huh. Um, and so there's quite an audience there for salsa. So he was busy for many years. Yeah, interesting. Um, but yeah, he's uh, Eddie LeBron is a guy where you look at these credits um, through through the seventies, and you're like, oh, you know, he's either arranging something, composing something, or playing, and that's that could be said of Joe Acosta to a lesser extent as well. Is when I am with her 
This season of the VMP Anthology podcast is hosted by me, Andrew Winnestorfer, and by Pablo Iglesias. It's executive produced by me, Andrew Winnestorfer, and it's produced by Jim Hankey of the Vinyl Emergency Podcast. Thanks again to Now Again Records for partnering with us on this anthology. And I leave you, as I always do, with this. Listen to more Tito Puente. <laughs>